Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. I am Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is the Pastor Richard Washington. We are a father and son team in this ministry. If you don't know, I want to explain to you why uh, me and my father came up with Science of the Covenant. As we begin to understand who is the true people, one of the things that stood out is that we must return to the covenant that Yahuwah, our creator, had established with us. This covenant not only just covers Israel, but this covenant covers every single one on this planet. We see a lot of things that have gone on in this past week. The brawl in Montgomery, the fires in Hawaii, uh, the notion that people are growing a beating heart in a lab. AI, all these different things, you know, and you can see that it's only a matter of time before the return of the Most High to redeem his children. And so one of the keys we must remember is that we need to return to his covenant, his statutes, his judgments, his commandments, his feast days. All of these are components of his covenant with us, and we need to return to that. And we need to urge others to do also. It doesn't matter what color you are, what nationality, what race. We all need to return to the covenant. So I urge you to tell others, let them know, not only just about the podcast, but about the covenant and how we should be approaching it. If you have any questions while this podcast is live, or say you're watching it after the live stream, after it's live, and you have a question, shoot us an email. And we will get to that question in the next podcast. If we are live, not only can you put your message in uh, e by emailing, but you can also put a message in the chat and we will get to your message or comment in the chat. You can email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. If you know the pastor has been going on a series, this series is dealing with the world's kingdoms. Was this world here prior? Uh, was the land and water here prior to Yahuwah building this creation and building this earth? You haven't, you don't know, you need to tune, you need to tune in and watch the other episodes of the world's kingdoms. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to the pastor. Okay, thank you, boys, and appreciate those introductory remarks because when we deal with the covenant, I think it's almost uh, indicative that we point that out because many people say that we are the true people of the covenant, but while they're telling who we are, we need to know what we as a people of the covenant need to do. So it's not enough just knowing who you are, but you have to know also what are you to do in order to be a part of the covenant. Because sometimes we can become a part of something, but yet not practice the principles that are involved in that which we are in. So we don't want to just find out who we are, but what we should do, because what we should do has a lot to do with why we are in the predicament that we are in. And if we continue to break the covenant, even though we say we are covenant people, then we will continue to be in the condition we are in. But if we are his people and are doing what he wants us to do, then he takes us under his wings to be able to give us the power and the necessary assistance 
to be able to help us fight through the crisis that we are up against today. And so what we want to do is continue uh, in our study. And we have been dealing with Genesis chapter one, and we've been dealing a larger with verse two, where we find that the earth was already here prior to Adam and Eve. And we're trying to get to the kingdoms of this world. But in order to get to the kingdoms of this world, we want to lay a foundation to point out that when Elohim began to make this world, that many say that he called it out of nothing. And thus far, as we have studied in the scriptures, we haven't seen that. So we want to pursue that because once we get through laying the foundation, then we can start looking at the kingdoms that were upon this earth before Adam and Eve. So at this juxtaposition, let us concern ourselves with trying to establish this foundation. So let us pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another Shabbat. And we pray for each one on the line that we may be able to get the blessings that you have in store for us. Bless me, the speaker. Bless him who regulates the technology. Bless each listener that we may be able to attain unto the things that you would have us to, that we may be closer to your kingdom today than we were yesterday. And as we continue each week to get closer and closer to your kingdom, that we may also get closer and closer to understanding and carrying out your covenant, that when you do finally come, we can find ourselves in good standing with you. So bless us in this discourse, bless us in this fellowship, and most of all, bless us in the understanding of the things, Lord, that are uttered, that we may be the better for it. Pray this prayer in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. So what we want to look at, uh, we we have a few texts <clears throat> that we want to look at. And the texts that we want to look at, uh, all of them, or I would say most of them, uh, with the exception perhaps of about one or two or one of them, they deal with the word invisible. And so we want to kind of focus on that word invisible because when we deal with invisible a lot of people uh, have looked at that and perhaps have given it an interpretation of which may not be in accordance with what that word means so that that's what we want to be able to look at and many of our texts uh, today they're going to be in what we call the cold British shock, uh, what we call the New Testament. And we, we want to look at those particular passages. So <clears throat> we want to have an accurate understanding of both uh, the usage and the meaning of the word invisible. Because the word invisible is in all of these texts that we'll be emphasizing that Paul had laid out. Now, the word used for invisible is aretos, aretos. Let me spell it for you. It's A 
A-R-O-R-A-T-O-S, Aretos. Okay, now, when we look at Aretos, it carries the meaning of unseen. That's what it means, unseen. Consequently, when we examine the passage, the passages of scriptures using this word, it means unseen because it means unseen. Many individuals draw the conclusion that unseen means invisible. And also it means nothing. This type of, of analysis of the word invisible makes it equivalent to the word nothing, which is understood to be something that is non-existing. So let us get a proper understanding of our ratos because it means unseen. There are some texts of scripture which speak, which speaks about things which are invisible. And these texts by some have been used to substantiate that Elohim created something from nothing. And these are the texts we want to take an introspective look at. Our first text will be found in Paul's epistle to the assembly of the Romans. So we want to look at the book of Romans and we want to look at chapter one, and we want to consider verse 20. We want to turn to Romans chapter one and verse 20. Now here's what Romans chapter one and verse 20 says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and divinity so that they are without excuse. Okay, now let's look at that, that text. He said the invisible things. Okay, now the first thing I want you to do with me is to think, is just, just to think a little bit. If somebody say for the invisible things, we have to take into consideration if you're saying some, some things are invisible, aren't you also saying that the things that are invisible, that it is a thing, okay? It got to be a thing, but you're saying it's invisible, okay? So in this analogy, then if we go back to the meaning of the word invisible, aretos, then we are saying uh, the things that are invisible are simply the things that are not seen. It is not saying that it doesn't exist. It is just saying that, that if we take the word in, in, in Romans 1.20 and we remove the word invisible and put the meaning of the word invisible in its place, it would read, for the things not seen. That's what it would say. But since it has invisible, many people say, well, if it's invisible, then it was nothing. No, it is just saying you got some things, but they are not seen. Then you can have some things that are invisible, but if we go by the meaning of the word invisible, which means not seen, it just means the things exist, but we just do not see them. Okay, so let, let, let us pursue this just a little bit further. So in, here in Romans 1.20, Paul speaks of invisible things. 
I think to clue that because he uses this word that we automatically draw the conclusion that invisible things means non-existing things. Are we led to believe that everything unseen are also not in existence? If that were so, would not that mean that if anything, uh, if anything were unseen was not in existence, such a premise as this would stand upon a faulty proposition. If invisible means something not seen, wouldn't this mean that if I couldn't see anything that is out of my sight, wouldn't that mean that even though that thing is out of my sight, maybe invisible to me is visible to others who can see it. Everything that is not seen doesn't mean that it is not in existence, but simply out of our focus. If I'm on this side of the earth, which I can see, but to those on the other side of it, it is not visible. So if I look at what I see on this side of the earth that other people on the other side of the earth cannot see is visible to me, but invisible to them. And their side of the earth is what? Is visible to them, but invisible to me. But it doesn't mean it, it doesn't exist. And I think sometimes we run with stuff that we have not proven. And as we run with it and we try to get the understanding of it, because of preconceived ideas and understanding of something, we hold to a premise that if something is invisible, then it, it doesn't exist. But the word aratos <clears throat> is just simply saying, it's just not seen. Okay, let's go to another text. Let us go to Colossians. Let us go to the book of Colossians. And in the book of Colossians, we want to go to chap chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. And in Colossians chapter 1, we want to look at uh, verses 15 and 16, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, okay? All right, now, in Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 15 through 16, it says, Who is the image of the invisible Elohim, the first of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Okay. Now, here in this verse, it speaks about the invisible Elohim of whom his son was an image of. Now, we certainly couldn't say that because it says the invisible Elohim that he didn't exist. Now, even though it says the invisible Elohim, we can't say it can't exist because we all know that Elohim has always been existent. But if it says it's invisible Elohim, we can't come to the conclusion 
that did, he didn't exist, but we can come to the conclusion, according to our ratos, that the word invisible means not seen. So when we read this verse, we can say the not seen Elohim. He's not seen. Well, that's true. He's not seen, but he still exists. So here in this verse, it speaks about the invisible Elohim of whom his son was an image of. In order for his son to be an image of, then he had to exist for him to be an image. So we certainly couldn't say that because it says the invisible Elohim that he didn't exist. He is just not seen. If he is the invisible Elohim, then he must exist in order for his son to be in his image. For how his son, for how could his son be in his image of someone who is non-existing? So when we look at uh, First Corinthians, I mean, not First Corinthians, but Colossians one, verses fifteen and sixteen, this invisibility of Elohim does not mean that he doesn't exist. It simply means he's not seen. Okay, and. We've already discussed, uh, like when it says here that uh, he created all things. We, we've, we've already understood that from the etymology of this word, create, it doesn't mean from nothing, but many preachers, many scholars and teachers and biblical uh, students, the moment they look at that word create, the first thing they say, something from nothing, something from nothing. The Bible, according to the Hebrew, bara, doesn't state that. It says the meaning of bara, B-A-R-A, the meaning of bara is to organize, to arrange, or to put in order. That's what it means. It doesn't mean from nothing. That's the meaning we have given it to it, but according to the scriptures, the word bara means to arrange and to put in order. Okay, let's go to another text that deal with invisible. And this time we want to go to the book of First Timothy. In the book of First Timothy, we want to look at chapter number one, and the verse that we want is verse number seven. Okay, one of Genesis, not Genesis, but uh. First uh, Timothy. Okay. And in First Timothy, we want to look at chapter one. And in chapter one, we want to look at verse number seven. Okay. All right. First Timothy chapter one. Yes. Yeah, all right, let me see. Let me see, make sure I got the right text here. You think it's 17? Uh, is it 17? Let me see. Da, 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 da. Yeah, that's right. I got it marked in my own Bible. Didn't you see it? Okay. All right, thanks. All right. First Timothy 1.17. I think I got in my notes 7, but in my Bible, I got checked off 17. Okay. So we want to look at that and just kick our interest to look at this verse. Now, here it reads, it says, Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, 
the only wise Elohim be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, let's look at that. They got a number of attributes that it's dealing with. And again, we see the word invisible associated with Elohim, which is accompanied by other words that describes him. Elohim is looked upon as being the king eternal, immortal, wise, and he is to be honored and glorified forever. Amen. Now, certainly one can not do this to an Elohim who would be non-existence. If he were non-existence, how would you give him these attributes of being immortal, invisible, wise, one who is to be honored and glorified? You couldn't do that to nothing. It has to be a person or somebody or Elohim. So he is saying that even though one of the attributes is that he's invisible, he's just simply saying he cannot be seen, but yet he is wise. He is immortal. He is to be honored and glorified. So we see here that existence is there. So we see here that the invisibility of Elohim has nothing to do with his non-existence, but rather to him not being seen. So again, this word invisibility has nothing to do with uh, saying it was nothing. It's just saying it is not seen. Okay. All right, let's, let's go to the book of Hebrews. All right, in the book of Hebrews, we want to uh, go to chapter 11. Book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, we want to consider verse uh, 27. Hebrews 11, 27. So let's look at that. Now, the Bible says, by faith, he forsook. Now, who is the he? That's talking about Moses. If you read, just read a few. If you start with verse 23, you know, it's talking about Moses. It said, but he, Moses, forsook Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Okay. Now here in this text, it speaks about Moses seeing him who is invisible. Okay, now that seems rather like a contradiction because if, if invisible being not seen, how can he see something that is not seen? So let's look at that and put make some sense out of it. So when it says, by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So uh, would not this mean that he, Moses, was putting his faith in Elohim, of whom he couldn't see, but he, Elohim, did exist. Now, he couldn't see him. Now, the Bible says, seeing him who is invisible. Nobody's ever seen Elohim. So what is this basically saying is, but he, Elohim, did exist. His faith is in Elohim, even though he couldn't literally see him. It was as though 
he was seeing him who is invisible. It is not that he said that he actually saw him. It is saying that he had so much faith that he had penetrated, even though he couldn't see him, that his faith went to him who is invisible. So what is the saying is for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. See, he acted like that when he was doing things for Elohim, that he knew he existed, even though he couldn't see it. And so the Bible is saying, as seeing him who is invisible. All right. All right. Now let's let let's bring it home a little bit further, because uh, here in, in in the same eleventh chapter of the book of Hebrews, we're gonna read verse three. Okay. Now let's look at the last premise that I said. The last premise that I was laying down was simply this. He did not see Elohim, but he endured as if he were seeing him who is invisible. You see? All right, now let's put that in perspective. Now in 11.3, here in this text, Paul says in, in, in the third verse of the 11th chapter of Hebrews, it said, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of Elohim, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Okay. All right. So when you look at this text, it says through faith. Okay. Okay. Now, what is faith? Okay. Now, this might be a text I'm not sure if we put, put up, but we want to look at what faith is. So what is faith? Okay, let us look at Hebrews 1.11 because many people who are Bible scholars and Bible students, they know that Hebrews chapter 11 is what we call the chapter on faith. It not only talks about and demonstrates faith, but it actually starts off by telling us a definition of faith. So let's look at that definition found in Hebrews 11 verse 1. It said, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, but the evidence of things not seen. Now, what we want to notice here is that it says that Moses endured as one to whom he put uh, faith, if we look at it that way, or as the scripture says, seeing him who is invisible. Now, if he's invisible, that he's not seen, because that's what the word invisible means. So how did he see something that's invisible? Here's how he saw it. It said, now, faith is the substance of things so forth. What was hope Moses hoping for? He was hoping for the invisible. What was the invisible? It, the invisible is what you call uh, that which one is looking forward to. In other words, if I have faith that I am going to a certain place, in actuality, I'm already at that place. Well, how do you say that? Because Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, Substance is things that are tangible. And if you hope for it, according to faith, you already got it. Just like Yeshua said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, whatever you ask is already done. In other words, you already got it. That's what faith is. He said, but how do you get something that you don't have, but believe that you got it? How is that? Well, the Bible says here, that even though you got it and you don't have it, in, in, in the definition of faith, it says the evidence of things not seen. In other words, you don't, you don't have, even have the evidence of it. 
You can't trace it down how you got it. That's what faith is. You don't know, you don't have no evidence of how you got it. But the fact is, you have it because you got faith. That's what faith is. The substance of things hoped for, but the evidence of things not seen. Moses had the substance of Elohim who he could not see, even though he don't have the evidence of how that was. Yeah, he knew that the unseen person that he couldn't see, he had faith in him, even though he was invisible, that he really saw him, and yet he didn't see him. But he had faith enough to know what he believed in was in existence. Okay, so with that in mind, let, let's pursue a little further. Now, notice, let's go back to uh, Hebrews 11.3. Now, notice what it says here. Uh, according to verse 3, it said, through faith, okay, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of Elohim. He said, we understand this by faith. What is the faith? Well, we, we have the faith to believe that, that that is what happened, that the worlds were framed by the word of Elohim. Okay, now, it said the worlds were framed. It didn't say the worlds were created out of nothing. It said the worlds was framed. And what were they framed by? His word. His word was powerful to take what was in existence and arrange it so that things which are seen were made of things which you do not appear. Now, in both instances, it said the things that we see, okay? So when we look at the things that we see, we know they exist. But he said these things that exist were made by things which do not appear. He didn't say that these things was made out of nothing. He said made, they, made, they were made out of things, but the things in which they were made out do not appear. So in this verse, is not using the word invisible. It says it do not appear, but we have looked at the word invisible, and invisible simply means uh, cannot be seen. And things that cannot be seen is things that do not appear. So that does not mean that he made something out of nothing. What it means is that he made it out. He still made it out of some things, but we can't see the things that he made it out, out of. For the mere fact that Paul says that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Isn't he uh, basically saying that the things which appear are made from things that do that we can't see? But these things cannot be seen, which we see are not in existence. He is not saying they're not existent. He just saying we do not see them. He is not saying that it's not in existence because if he was saying that existent, why would he say things that we cannot see? So he's letting you know that there are some things, but you can't see it. He is not saying there is things that are invisible because why would you want to use the word things if it's invisible? You would say they, would be, they are made out of things invisible. Because if you say things, automatically you're saying something exists, but they are not seen. But if you're using uh, invisible or not seen to be what we call non-existence, why would you say things? You wouldn't need to say things because if it's not existent, there's nothing there to call a thing. But he's using the things in the sense that when we use that word, we are saying that those things that made the things that do appear, they did exist, but we cannot see them. So the things which do not appear are things 
but they just do not appear or aren't seen. That's that's what it's talking about. Okay, now. So let's wrap it up now. Invisibility does, doesn't mean non-existence or nothing. It simply means unseen. Just like the things which are visible can be seen, the things which are invisible are not seen. If we could stick closely to the meaning of the word aretos, I believe we could properly exegete what Paul is actually saying without adding or taking away from what he is saying. Sometimes our opinions and our interpretations are not biblically sound and align with the meaning of the, of the biblical words. If Paul is speaking about something or somebody being invisible, he is merely speaking about things unseen. And if we attribute invisibility to non-existence or nothing, this would be a gross travesty of the most ridiculous kind. If we say that something or someone is invisible and therefore non-existence or nothing, this would be inaccurate. So what the Bible is teaching is there are some things that do exist but we just simply do not see them. So we're going to continue with this next week and to further lay the foundation so we can get to these kingdoms that was on earth before Adam. Father, again, we thank you that we could uh, go through these passages and to try to digest and understand them in a proper light according to the words and the meanings that they have rather than the interpretations and the opinions that we give to them that we may properly exegete, we may properly derive the word of truth, we may properly take out of your word that which is in your word, rather than trying to put things in your word that is not there. So thanks again, and we may, <clears throat> that we may have a deeper understanding of your word that as we move in the future, that we can follow, that we can follow our knowledge on that which is accurate. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. amen. And amen. Amen. So invisibility doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It's just unseen. Just not seen. And a lot of people, some of the great Bible scholars, they say, you know, it's invisible means, you know, it's not there. It's nothing. And not in all of the passages that we use, but in some of them, you know, they are, uh, use invisibility to prove that uh, things that are invisible cannot be seen, so therefore he created something out of nothing. And that's what it leads up to. Because, I mean, it just goes to think about plants and how our food is grown, even trees. We don't, in the beginning stages, we don't see what happens, or we sometimes <laughs> we don't even see the seed, but we know something happens because it produces matter right. at some point at some point right and even when you think about birthing with humans the sperm and egg we don't really see that but we know something happens because a woman ends up getting pregnant and having a child right but see one of the one, one of the greatest questions that need to be asked and i'm not, you know I'm, I'm not i'm not sure why people haven't asked this question mm-hmm 
And I think we need to look at this question because a lot of people, they're not asking it, but yet and still, it's at the basis of what people say he created something out of nothing. Now, could you name me or could anybody name me something that was created from nothing? Just name one thing. I'm not asking for 10 or 20, but could you name me one thing that was created from nothing? That's all I'm saying. That's fair, isn't it? If you say yeah. he created something from nothing, name me just one thing that was created from nothing. How come we're not asking that question? Yeah. I mean, that's an elementary question. That's not even for college. That's not for high school. That's not even for grammar school. That's for a little child to ask, mm -hmm. name me one thing that came from nothing, just one thing. You know, too, when you look at the Most High Yahuwah, he is matter himself. And that's that that question right there is salient. That mm -hmm. that that is important. <clears throat> because if he is somebody, whatever comes from here, be it his voice or whatever his thoughts, mm -hmm. he is somebody, so it didn't come from nothing. It came from him. Mm. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Wow. It's no way either way you take it, something was in existence. Yeah. Yeah. Uh we have a couple of questions that have been emailed in. Mm -hmm. And the first one reads in Exodus thirty three eleven, who is Yahweh that spake unto Moses face to face? Well, let's turn to the chapter and let's see if we can get some get some out of that. Okay, let's see. You want to go to Exodus thirty three eleven? Okay, and uh, let's see. Let's see. Okay. Exodus 33:11. Okay, my Bible says in verse 11 of the 33rd chapter, it says, And Yahweh spake unto Moshe face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. And his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. So uh, apparently you're talking about the first part of it, not the latter part. You said here he spake to Moses face to face. And who was he talking to? OK, well, when we look at when we look at that text, uh, it talks about uh, Yah. OK, and in, in many of the Bibles, uh, this this Yahweh is referring to what what we call they they call it Lord, you know. A lot of people don't want to call it Lord because Lord sometimes is equated with Baal, and Baal was a false god that they also call Lord. So in the, so in some Bibles they may say the Lord spake unto Moses, and some they say Yahweh spoke to Moses. Okay, now if you look at if 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 you if if you look at that. Uh, uh, that text, just with that text alone, it it may appear that uh, Elohim is is, is uh, he's he's talking about the Father talking to him. But a lot of places in the Old Testament where it speaks about Yah is talking about Lord. That is true. But the Lord that they're talking about is the son of Elohim, okay? So if I recall correctly, that the son 
is the one that was talking to um, Moses uh, at this at this juncture. He's he is talking to him because uh, the power and the glory of the Father. I think that 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 would have been overwhelming for Moses to be in that type of light. But even as we don't even consider that factor, uh, most of what we see in the what we call the Old Testament is Yeshua making his appearance. Okay, that that's usually Yeshua. So when we look at this text, uh, I've come to the conclusion that it's not the Father, but this is the Son. Okay, all right now without going to a whole lot of text, if you remember when Yeshua, uh, well, let's go down when when when, uh, when Moses, uh, when Elohim told Moses, he said, he, he, he told Moses, uh, he wanted to lead his people out of bondage, out of Mizraim or out of Egypt. And uh, Moses said, well, he told Elohim, he said, well, who should I say sent me? He says, say that I am, that I am sent me, right? That's what he said. And that means Yahweh means I am what I am, okay? And, and, and that's what the name Yahweh means. So here's, here's the point I'm getting at. So when he told him, I am, that I am has sent you, you know, that's the son talking. How do we know it was the son talking? Now, if you remember in the New Testament, that when the soldiers came to get Yeshua, and they were looking for him after Judas had betrayed him and they asked for him, what, what did Yeshua say? He said, I am he, right? And when he said, I am he, the Bible says that the soldiers fell back like they were dead almost. Why did they fall back when he said, I am he? Because we go back to when he met Moses. He told Moses to tell the pharaohs, I am. And whenever Yeshua says, I am, all that power came out of him when he said, I am he, the soldiers fell back because he was taking them all the way back to Exodus when he said, I am. And if you read in the Gospel of John, John is constantly talking about, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Yeshua is the I am. And he was being represented to Moses on Mount Korev or Mount Sinai, that was Yeshua, not the Father, that was talking to him. Okay, uh, and we have another question. Um, now, your question, we're going to get to part of it in this segment. In the other half, I'm going to deal with, I'll ask the question to the pastor uh, in let's, after the Let's Talk About It segment. And the email reads, greetings to you all in the name of the Most High. I pray you're doing well on this beautiful Shabbat. And they have a couple of questions. The first question we're going to deal with, and then the other part we'll deal with uh, during Let's Talk About It. Uh, first of all, I'm wondering if the word eratos is Greek, and what are the origins of it? Okay, well, I want to give you greetings again. We thank you for the greetings that you have extended to us and likewise to yourself. Okay, aretos is a Greek word. Uh, I must admit, I, uh, I, I have only studied aretos in the Greek language. 
uh, I haven't gone into the derivatives of uh, or the etymology of of where it came from, but we do know that our ratos, which we use for the the uh, Greek word, uh, which is a Greek word that in English we call it invisible. Now you can trace invisible down, and uh, if I'm if I'm not incorrect, the word invisible did not exist at the time of Aretos. It uh, Aretos existed first, and then when languages began to try to put the Bible in their own vernacular, then they used words that would be equivalent in their language uh, to be equivalent to Aretos. And sometimes in the transferring of a word from one language to another, sometimes it could le lose meaning, but moreover, it can also gain new meanings that was not originally associated with the word. But I'll just be upfront with you. I haven't studied the etymology of Aretos. I only studied it from the Greek origin, from the Bible. And that's what it says, something that is not seen. Okay. Uh, that, you know what? Um, if that's the case, we're just going to go ahead on and um, do the rest of the question because I think it still mm -hmm. ties in. Okay. Says, also, in your opinion, what do you believe is the best concordance to use for biblical word research? I've read, I've heard mixed op opinions about the Strong's concordance. Do you believe it is the most reliable source for scripture to for scripture study? What uh, is your recommendation for the most reliable and accurate additional resources for deeper understanding of the word? during everyday Bible study. Great okay. It, um, let, 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 me, let me approach your, your question this way. Uh, what is the best uh, study guides or concordance or word study you can use? Well, here's my analogy. What, I would have to know something about you because you may study different from me. You say, my study may take me into Hebrew and Greek because when I was in college, biblical languages uh, was my minor. Not that I speak these languages fluently, but these are the languages that I've studied. So I may choose to go to Young because Young, when you look at Young's concordance, he deals with both the Greek and the Hebrew. And at the end of the concordance, he takes each Hebrew word and give the derivatives of it and also how many times it's used. And he also does the same thing with the Greek. He'll give you the Greek word and then he'll go into it and define it and tell you how many times certain Greek words are used. Okay, that might be good for me, but if you're not on the same page that I'm on, I might suggest to you, you may be a person that you 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 you're not concerned with the Greek or the Hebrew, but you just want to know the meaning. Well, if that's the case, Strong doesn't go into it the same way that Young does. So uh, Strong may be the best for you. In other words, when when you when, whenever you are doing something, it's like a carpenter. Sometimes you're gonna need to saw. Sometimes you're gonna need a hammer and a nail. But I got to know what you're doing in order to suggest to you what you need, because I can give you some stuff 
that can be so elementary. You say, well, no, this is too simple. And then I can give you some stuff to be over your head. And you say, wait, wait a minute. I can't understand this. So I would have to have some background of what you're trying to do. Because this is why they got so many versions of the Bible. Because some people are not concerned about all of this deep stuff or the shallow stuff or what. They may be concerned with just reading it in a different translation. You've got the New World's translation. You got the New King's James uh, uh, translation. You know, you got all these translations because they're trying to come at it from different ways for different people. Everybody, uh, every everyone is not at the same uh, on the same page when we come to studying the scriptures. So I would have to know what are you looking for and what are you trying to attain in in studying the scriptures. Then I might be at a more appropriate uh, answer to what type of resources you need in order to study. It's like if a person maybe have gone to the seminary, they, they may want to use a different uh, uh, type of study altogether. A person who have not gone to the seminary or studied in a Bible college or a person who just might never have gone to any kind of uh, biblical studies anywhere, they may want to start maybe at a more of a basic uh, type uh, of study, which strong would lead to and sometimes when you read strong and you go to Young's, you can get maybe a more comprehensive view. But one must understand why are you studying what you're studying and what are the tools you need to get at that? Are you looking for meaning? Are you looking for substance? Are you looking for just a general understanding or a specific understanding? Are you looking uh, from a historical perspective or are you trying to look at it just from a linguistic standpoint, because if you don't want the languages, sometimes even a Strong's or Young Concordance may not benefit you. You may have to go to some commentaries that speaks more about the geography and the uh, the history and the culture of a people in order to understand the scripture. So know what you're trying to do, and then you can always get tools to be able to support that. So they are asking too, so... Uh, for beginners, probably Strong's, and for Young's, for a little bit more higher level? Uh, you, you can, but see, that doesn't mean that because I'm suggesting Young for a higher level that a person at a lower level c- couldn't, couldn't do it because uh-huh. you still have enough in that for them to do it. But what I'm saying is when you read Young's, not only are you going to see the word in English, but they're going to write it in Hebrew f- as, as as well. So... It- so so one has to adapt it to what what one wants to try to accomplish. So you said Young's uh, not only put it in English, but they put it in Hebrew mm-hmm. and also Greek. Yeah, got Greek too. Yeah. And Strong's doesn't do that. Mm, not 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 Strong's. I have is that Strong's just is to tell you the word, and uh-huh. then it to tell you what it what it what it, what it means. But you don't have any Hebrew there, and neither does you have 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 the. Uh, the Greek, they may say it's Greek, but they, they just give everything in English is what I'm saying. It's almost like a transliteration. Um, well, I know uh, when I've used uh, some like uh, the Blue Letter Bible online mm-hmm. and they tie to Strong's, but they will give the breakdown of, uh, you know, the word is tied to Hebrew and Greek also. Well, they may, but what I'm saying is that when they do it, do they spell it out in Greek and Hebrew? 
Yeah. They. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, maybe I have I mean, had, had the latest one there. They may have cut up to Youngs and kind of copy what Youngs do now and everything yeah, because but, it but, gives you the uh, Strong's numbers and tell you where other words of that same. Yeah, I understand. I, I know when I study my strong, it'll actually tell you the, the number uh-huh. and where it can be found, but I don't see it written in, in Greek and Hebrew. Mm. I don't see it written there, but yeah, they do show you where it is. That's what I'm saying. It's good for that. They'll tell you how many times it's used, where it's used, but when you look at it, it's still English. You're not reading it in Greek or Hebrew. Okay. You, you're, you're simply reading it in English. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's hard to tell a person what to and what not to study. One has to have some assessment uh-huh. of what you're trying to understand about about the scriptures. Let me let me ask this too. Um, which do you have you encountered that has the most information? Out, well, out of- but but see, a lot of times when I look this up, uh, this stuff up in Hebrew and Greek. Uh-huh. Uh, it gives me a much more of a biblical flavor of what's really happening. Okay. Okay. Let, let's take case and example. Uh, I mean, this may be a little far fetched. We've been talking about bara, the word create, right? Yes. Okay. Now we know that each letter of the Hebrew alphabet represents a picture. Uh-huh. So when you take the word bara, which in Hebrew will be two letters because the vowels are not pronounced. Uh-huh. So you got the B and the Ara. Uh-huh. Now, according to Hebrew, the B stands for sun, or it could also stand for Beth, which is a house, okay? Okay. It could stand for sun or house. Mm-hmm. And when you take the Ara or the Rosh, mm-hmm. which is the, uh, I think that's the 20th letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and that means head, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, now, when you take take the head and you, ta- you take the, the B and the Rosh and put it together, you got the sun who is the head, right? Yes. Okay. But you can also, if that B is a, is a house, you can say that he's the head of the house. Okay. okay. So that word bara simply means head of the house. Okay. So what I'm trying to say is that I'm not, I'm not sure if you are limiting your research just to Strong's and Young. Uh-huh. But if but if you want to put me in a corner to say that you are making a comparison between strong and young, I can say if you advance in your Bible studies, go ahead and use uh, young. Uh-huh. But I can say if you may not be advanced and what that may mean to you may be different to me, that go ahead and study strong, but use as a companion with strong, use young along with it. Okay. You know. Okay. But if you use young, you may want to understand the 22 letters of the Greek alphabet. And I think the, I'm not the Greek, but the Hebrew alphabet. Uh-huh. And I think the Greek alphabet, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think it got 26 letters. Familiarize yourself with the letters so when you get in young, you may have some understanding of it. But if you don't have any understanding of the Greek or the Hebrew, that doesn't limit you from going to young because you can still learn something from it. So you can compare strong and young together. Okay. But I think if you, you, you're trying to ask me, uh, 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 about what tools you need, 
I would first need to know what are you trying to do? Because mm -hmm. even a carpenter can't build a house or whatever you want until he know, do you want a condominium? <laughs> do you want a shack? Do you want a garage? He got to know what you got to build mm -hmm. before he can suggest what he can do. So maybe this is something uh, maybe we could put together on the website because maybe if you could tell us like some of the points of the different things you use and explain them, a person can go in and say, okay, this may be a tool that I need in my research and studies of the scriptures and all, you know, especially someone who is starting to really dig deep into the scriptures, you know, just cause sometimes a lot of people just want to, um, may not get everything you suggest, but they want to know some of the things that you use to do your research in the scriptures and everything, because some mm -hmm. of them, you know, like you said, some may want to use strong, some may want to use young, or so it may be some other tool you use that they never even heard of. It's like, Oh, I never heard this one. So let, let me see about this one here. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, that's a plethora of things you, you, you can put up. Uh, matter of fact, you can even go online and they can give you a, a whole lot of, they can like a lot of people, uh, are not familiar with the Targums. Targums. And that's T A. Yeah, the Targums, which is T A R G U M. Uh -huh. Now, Targums, they are generally the type of writings that uh, they're, they're not really telling you uh, so much of, of, of what, what the scriptures mean. Uh -huh. They are kind of telling you how the people carried it out. Just like you might read in the Bible says that uh, Yeshua and his disciples, they were walking through the cornfield uh -huh. and they plucked corn. Well, the Targums are uh, writings that tell you how things was actually carried out. Just like when you read in the, in the commandments, it says, uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it, keep it holy. But the Targums will tell you how the people actually kept the Sabbath. Not so much that you're reading about what you should do. Mm -hmm. It's telling you how they did do it. So there are so many tools to deal with it. Okay. That if you start reading the Bible and you'll discover, well, you know, I'd like to know more on this subject. It may be literature and stuff out there that can help you on, on a particular subject. There are literature that can help you on particular words. There are literature that can help you on geography of the Bible. There are literature that can help you to get the maps of the Bible where certain biblical incidents happen. Because a lot of times when you can see where things happen, and what was going on, it gets you a better, better picture. So be familiar with what you're looking for. And when you do that, that's, that's a lot of information out there for it. Okay. Uh, we have another question and it's uh, stated based it based on your response to the first question. The son can be referred to as Yahweh in the old Testament. Correct. Oh, you talking about uh, Exodus 33, 11? Yes. Oh, okay. It can be traced to Yahweh, yeah. Uh -huh. okay. So what's the question? Uh, she said, they said, uh, based on your response to the first question, the son mm -hmm. can be referred to as Yahweh in the Old Testament, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, he, he, he is Yahweh. That's when he was trying to tell the Jews. He said, before Abraham was, I am, and I am comes from the word Yahweh. Okay. Uh, we have another question that reads, people say Yahushua 
will rule the earth for 1,000 years. Will they be worshiping the anti-Messiah? Well, are we about to talk about that soon? Well, let me, let me say, you said Yeshua will rule the world for 1,000 years? Yes. For first of all, where, where did it say that? Uh, That's what they said. People say Yahushua will rule, the earth, rule on earth for 1,000 years. Uh, for first place, you would have to show me <clears throat> from the scriptures uh, where Yeshua said he's going to rule from this earth a thousand years. Uh, uh, that's what people, you said, that's what people say. Well, uh, the only thing I can say, you may have to get to, with the people who are saying it, or I don't know if you're just picking it up from what you've heard them say, or some of these people have talked to you and, and this is what they said. And if that is so, you would probably have to get from them where where did they get the information? Because uh -huh. I I basically in my Bible I do not see where it says Yeshua going to rule this earth for a thousand years. I I I, I don't see that. Now what was the other part of the question? Uh, Read your question again. People say Yahusha will rule on earth for 1,000 years. Will they be worshiping the anti-Messiah? Can you hold off on, on that until we, because we're about to get into, let's talk about it, which I want to talk about. The oh, okay, I'll tell you, we'll get to the second part of your questions at the next section. All right, well, with that, we will transition into our next segment. Up next is let's talk about that. So today, uh, and let's talk about it. You know, the Bible speaks of the Antichrist, the Anti-Messiah. And so I want to talk about that. And before we talk about it, I want to go to a verse in the Bible. Uh, and if you have your Bible, so you can just look at the screen. I want to read First uh, John chapter two, verse eighteen, and it reads, "Okay, little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that the anti messiah shall come, even now are there many anti messiahs whereby we know that it is the last time." So uh, here it talks about the Anamasiah, and it states that there will be uh, more than one anti-Messiah. So, uh, so, Pastor, so there will be more than one Antichrist that's going to appear? Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's going to be more than one. It's going to be a plethora of you know uh anti messiahs uh -huh. it's not it's not just gonna be one but it's gonna be many and you know there are ways to know who is who is for real and who is not okay now if you wanna a lot of time when you read the book of revelation uh it can correspond to other other prophecies you know, that are in the Bible. So, uh, 
if you turn to uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter 24. And, uh, and 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 let's start with verse. This is Yeshua talking to his disciples because they they wanted to know when the, when when would the end of the world be. Mm -hmm. So let, let, let's start there. So here we read in Matthew chapter 24, and we want to start with verses four and five and, and look and see what it says. It says, "For Yeshua answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you." Okay. Mm -hmm. So he said, don't let anybody deceive you. And then the next verse says, for many shall come in my name saying, I am the Messiah and shall deceive many. So when you look at the, the one in John, John is saying there are going to be many uh, anti-Messiahs. And here, before Yeshua left, he's telling you, for there shall many come in my name saying, I am the Messiah. Mm -hmm. They are they they are anti uh, messiahs, and it says when they come, not only are they gonna come, but they're gonna deceive many. Okay, so <clears throat> according to the scriptures, we are looking at many false messiahs. Then we turn to uh, Matthew's twenty four eleven. Let's look at that. It says, and many false prophets shall arise, and shall deceive many. Okay. Mm -hmm. So deception of false prophets and false messiahs is something that when Yeshua was with his disciples before he left his world, he told them about these uh, false messiahs that that would be coming. And one of the ways you can tell them is they're not in the line with his word, nor are they in the line with being able to uh, teach the things that Yeshua himself taught. Okay. Now, if you look at Matthew's chapter 24 in verse uh, 23, notice what this says. It says, Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Messiah, or there, believe it not. In other words, he's telling you these false messiahs if somebody tell you that there is one, he said, I don't believe that. I'm the only one. And verse 24 follows up to says, for there shall arise false messiahs. There it is again, verse 24, and false prophets. So false prophets and false messiahs go together and shall show great signs and wonders in so much that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now, you know who the elect are? The elect are those who are the closest to Elohim and they know his will. Mm -hmm. And he said, if those who know his will, the closest to him can be deceived, what do you think mm -hmm. they're going to do with the people that don't really study and get into his word? They yeah. sure enough going to be deceived. So this thing about false messiahs and all of that, it was a part of what Yeshua was giving to his disciples for, before he left. So when John was writing, John was really piggybacking on what Yeshua had already said. So my next part of my question, it would be, is have we already had some Antichrist uh, come about? Oh, yeah, we, we, have, we, we have had them. But, but, but see, the thing is that in these last days uh, it, to what we already got, we're going to be even getting more. Mm, so it's even going to be more. Oh, oh yeah. Than... You, you, here, here, here's what we got to understand. Uh -huh. uh, the devil... The devil got his, just like Elohim got his true prophets and preachers out here, mm 
Mm-hmm. The devil is doing the same thing. He got his he got his false prophets and false preachers out here too, and he he gonna keep multiplying those. Mm-hmm. Just like you take many of the celebrities and uh, stars out in Hollywood, many are making good money, so they don't they don't want to necessarily deal with the church. But a lot of especially a lot of the Hebrews out there, who are comedians and actors, they mm-hmm. really should be preachers. They should really be taking these scrolls and preaching to the world. Mm. But devil has stolen their talent, and he and what he did in order to steal their talent, he put a price tag on the talent. He said, "Now, if you you go to the church, you, you you're not gonna have a price tag like this. In order to make the money, now I'm gonna give you so I got a price tag. You come on out here and, and do my thing. I got all of this for you. But really." They don't need to really worry about that because if they come into Elohim's business, he will still support and give them what they need. They may not have all of these five yachts and airplanes and five and six houses all over the world. They may not have that, but Mm -hmm. he'll make sure that he takes care of you because the Bible says, I was young, now I'm old, never have I seen the righteous forsaken or a seed bear bread. So he's going to take care of you. But all of those Hollywood stars, those stand-up comics, especially among the black Hebrews, they should be his... Uh, on on the side of Elohim, but they're the devil's puppets and they become the false prophets and the false messiahs to perpetrate the devil's stuff. They they are already out there. And and we can look to see more as time goes by. And you know, it's interesting because it's a guy, I believe, out there now, uh African American black guy, calls himself mm-hmm. King Yahweh. And it's funny how you talk about celebrities. It's a lot of celebrities that are beginning to follow this guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and he walks around like uh, uh, he's a pretty much a god. And it's interesting because, you know, you can, if you really study the scriptures, you would understand who is true and who is not. The one thing I noticed, this guy always has scantily clad women around him. I don't think the true Yahuwah women would be dressed like they are dressed around this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, this guy, he sits on the throne and several countries acknowledge this guy. Mm-hmm. You know? But we there will be more than one that just going to constantly keep coming up until the true Yahuwah comes. Mm-hmm. And so one of the telltale signs of who's the true you, who is when he coming again, correct? Or is there other signs too to know, to differentiate the true Messiah from all these other frauds? Yeah, well, one of, one of the basic ways that you're going to find, are they going according to the word of God? Because it's going to come a time when one of the false messiahs or false prophets are going to tell you that, you know, Yeshua is coming back, but he don't even... Uh, he they gonna they gonna they gonna they gonna change his word. Is what I'm saying. If they if they're not in harmony with his word, then they're not in harmony with him. They in the future they are gonna come out boldly and say that Yeshua himself changed the Sabbath from the first day of the week, from the seventh day of the week to Sunday. They are gonna tell you that, and they are gonna have nice sweet voices. They are gonna sound good. They're going to look reasonable and they're going to be doing miracles according to the Bible. And you will say, well, th- that must be true. But we who are the lack, we know that that's not true because yeah. everything is going to have to line up to the word. 
if they ain't lying up to the word, he said to the law and to the testimonies, if they speak not according to his word, it is because no light is in them. Mm. And if you ain't got no light, what you got? Yeah. You got darkness. And darkness is equated with evil, and light is equated with goodness. Yeah. The word is light, but evil is darkness. Um, and I guess to go back to the question that was asked, uh, people say Yahushua will rule on earth for 1,000 years. Will they be worshiping the anti-Messiah? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's like this. Uh, if you say he's going to rule 1,000 thousand years on earth and we don't have a scripture, then I don't know if I could properly say that they will be worshiping the false messiah for a thousand years if that what you are saying uh, that he's supposed that that's what people are saying but I can only say if what the people are saying is is true then possibly they will, but many many people even today are worshiping a false messiah. And uh, the broader the broader sense of your question is this: when you say they will be worshiping a thousand years uh, the false messiah, every from 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 Adam up until our time, there there have been people worshiping false messiahs. Okay. Because see, when you deal with just the Jewish just the Jewish people alone, mm -hmm. okay? When you just deal with them alone and, 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 and you look at even today's community, there are, there are a lot of people call themselves Jews, but they don't worship Yeshua. Okay, so if they're not working with Yeshua, who is the son of Elohim, mm -hmm. well, then you have to stop and say, well, now, if you're not worshiping Yeshua, son of Elohim, then who, who are they worshiping? And they will say, well, we worship the Father. Well, according to the way we teach is that you can't get to the Father unless you come through the Son. Yeah. So if you're not coming through the Son and you're trying to get to the Father, then Yeshua was trying to tell them, if uh, you call yourself sons of Abraham, he said, you do the works of Abraham, but you're going around to kill me. And they said, well, we're not trying to kill you. He said, uh, but... Why is it that you want to stone me? They said, well, we want to stone you because you made yourself the son of Elohim. Well, if Yeshua had said he was not the son of Elohim, he would not have been telling the truth. So he was telling the truth. And then when he went to the scrolls and like somebody asked the question in 3311 of Exodus, he was the son. And they didn't want to recognize him as the son. So he said, search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are there to testify me. But you won't come to me that you might have life. So if you're not coming to Yeshua, you got to be coming to another force. And if you say you're coming to the Father and you don't want to accept his son, the, the devil has to be lead, leading you. Couple, they, they aren't but two, they, they aren't but two uh, uh, what we might say, gods of this world. Mm -hmm. And one of the gods of this world who is evil, which is Satan, and then you got Yeshua, who is righteous. Now, if you don't want to follow Yeshua, you got to be following the devil. Mm. So what I'm saying is, it's not only the thousand years reign that people are, 
or following the false messiah. They have been doing that for years. Do you know when people, when the Jews said that we want Barabbas rather than Yeshua to be crucified? They said the name Barabbas means the son of a rabbi. Because when you trace that word down, uh, 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 Barabbas, the word bar in, 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 the, in, in the Greek language, bar means son. And rabbi and, 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 and rabbi means rabbi. So no doubt when they said Barabbas, he was a son of a rabbi. And so he, he was a type of false Christ. So when you deal through history of people rejecting uh, Yeshua as being the son of Elohim and accepting another leader in his place, they following a false Messiah. That's what they're doing. So when you get to the millennium, according to the millennium that we know in the Bible, and that's found in the book of Revelation. Let's let's turn there just briefly. Now, the Bible says here in the book, book of Revelation, chapter 20, uh, in verse 2, it says, And he laid hold on that dragon, that old serpent, which is called the devil, Satan, and bound him a thousand years. <clears throat> but if you read the entire 20th chapter, you'll find out that these thousand years are saying that all of Elohim's people are going to be with him. They didn't necessarily say they're going to be here on the earth. But when he comes back after that thousand years, okay. Well, they, they, but, they had um, mm -hmm, they had emailed. Uh, People believe in the thousand year reign of Yahusha on earth. Use Revelation twenty, verse four as their biblical text. Okay, so well, let's look at it. I think I had gotten to it. Okay, yeah. all right. So what I'm saying is, the Bible says here uh, that these these individuals who are with Christ reigning, uh, let me see. All right, let's read verse uh, verse four to find out who's reigning. He said, and I saw thrones and them that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Yeshua, for the word of Elohim, and which had no, and, and which had not worshiped the beast neither his image, neither his received his mark in upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with uh, the Messiah a thousand years. Now, 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 if you look at this this verse four, it is telling you, yes, it's going to be a thousand years, but but the ones that did not receive the mark of the beast or the or or or, or his name or his number, they they are the ones that overcame the beast. So this has been going on before the thousand years. And so when you get to the thousand years, he says the only ones that's going to be reigning with Christ is the ones that did not receive that mark. And then to show you that he's talking about the the wicked or somebody worshiping the uh, uh, the false messiah, he said those that did not worship him, they're going to reign with Yeshua a thousand years. Okay, now, but then it says in verse five, but the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years was finished. And this is the first resurrection. So what it's saying is that only the righteous is going to be worshiping him. There is no false Messiah for them. But after the thousand years is over and they be resurrected, because uh, he, he said they, they, the rest of the dead, now who are the rest of the dead? Is the one that is not righteous. And then after a thousand years is over, they're going to come back because he says, they live not again, so they must have lived once, but now he's on brought them back again after a thousand years, 
And then he says, those came forth in the first resurrection. He said, but, in the, in, but, but it goes on to say in verse six, blessed are they that are, that is holy, is blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. Why is that? Because if you come forth in the first resurrection, you're going to be with the righteous living and the both of you going to reign with Yeshua for a thousand years. But the second but the second death hath no power over them because they shall be priests with Elohim and the Messiah and shall reign with him a thousand years. So it don't even sound like the wicked is around. It, so if they, they're not around, I don't even think the righteous are going to even be tempted by Antichrist because they're with Yeshua. Mm. And then when they, when the righteous dead, I mean, when the wicked dead comes back, that's when they're going to be destroyed. So I don't see in this text, I do see the thousand years, but it has nothing to do with the Antichrist because the people that overcome the Antichrist, they're going to be with Yeshua a thousand years. And when they come back, they're going to re resurrect the wicked and they're going to destroy them. So just to clarify, so during that a thousand years, those people shouldn't even be, won't even be worshiping the Messiah, but worshiping the authentic Messiah. Yeah, right. That's, that's okay. what, according to this, and they say even Satan, even Satan won't be able to come back. He's going to be bound a thousand years. Mm. So if he's bound a thousand years in that time, can there be an Antichrist? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. But let me point out something. Let me go a little, little bit further. Okay. Uh, let's, 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 let's point this out too. All right. Let's, let's go to, just stay right there with uh, the 20th chapter, but we want to go to the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation. 19th chapter, and I want to point this out, okay? All right, here, here is what, what the Bible says, okay? Now, I want you to put this in perspective. Now, this is before the thousand years, okay? Uh -huh. This is before the thousand years. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, it says, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophets that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Now, this is telling you here that these false prophets, which is identified with the false messiahs, they were cast into a lake of fire. Mm -hmm. That's before the thousand years, because by the time we get into Revelation, we're talking about the thousand years, aren't we? But this is before it. And they is cast in the lake, 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 lake of fire. So they won't be around to tempt nobody. There ain't nobody going to be worshiping them. Okay, now keep that in mind. That's Revelation 1920. Uh -huh. But let's go into Revelations, the 20th chapter. And this time we want to look at verse number 10. Notice what it says. It says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beasts and the false prophets are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, before the thousand years, you got somebody being cast into the lake of fire. Who were they? The Bible says they were the false prophets, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. But after the thousand years, who's going to be thrown in that same lake of fire? The Bible says the devil. See, the devil is not thrown into the first lake of fire, but he's going into the second but the second lake of fire is still the same place as the first lake of fire, but it's, 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 the, second, it's the second occurrence for the devil because the devil wasn't put in there with them. 
And so what it is saying is, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire of brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. See, the beast and false prophet, they precede the devil into this lake of fire. So nobody can worship them. They, they cannot be false messiahs because they, they can't even operate. They gone. So when a thousand years come, the only person we're going to be worshiping is the true Messiah. And after we get through doing that, then the devil is going to have his time that he's going into the same place that they went. Okay. Well, with that, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready to close out this podcast for this week? All right. I love and Father, we thank you for the very inquisitive questions in the minds, so Heavenly Father, who are being inspired to get new tools in order to study the scriptures. This is good. And as they search out the materials and as we try to give them the best we can, that they may continue to study. And one study may lead to these type of books and some may lead to another type of books. But as they continue to study, that their minds may grow and their spirits may increase with the knowledge that you have given us that we can prepare ourselves for the second coming. So bless each one who have come on today. Bless their families, loved ones. And if there's any sickness, if there's any death, if there's any unemployment at all, Heavenly Father, of the things that we need, we ask that you would supply it according to your riches and grace. We're so glad that you brought us to another Sabbath. And as we face another week, we ask that your spirit may continue to go with us and do for us that which is needed. And we pray and ask that as we continue to study concerning, oh, Heavenly Father, this world and what was occupied here. And the subject that we are dealing with is not so much a salvational subject, but is a scientific study that we are trying to find out what were the kingdoms that were here on earth before Adam and Eve so we can get a proper understanding of what the scriptures teaches us that when Yeshua made this world, that it was already in existence. These and other blessings we do ask in the name of Yeshua the Messiah and for his dear sake we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Oh, uh, before we go, I had to say it. We don't ask anything, dollar, penny, for this ministry. All we ask is you hit that like button, like this podcast, and if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. Also, uh, we know the fall feast are, should be upon us soon, and we hopefully we will have some dates for you soon uh, when we will be having our uh, services for the fall feast that are coming up. And as always, if you have any questions or comments uh, after this podcast, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. If you have a subject you want us to talk about and let's talk about it, or if you have maybe something, subject you want the pastor to uh, speak on in his discourse, uh, send us your ideas. We'd be happy to oversee them. And if we can make it happen, we're going to make it happen. That is our podcast for this week. All the paths of Yahuwah are mercy and truth unto such as to keep his covenant and his testimonies. Psalms 2510. Until next week, Shalom.